99.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and all over the world at weru.org. One groove at a time. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at maincf.org. The time is 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host, Ron Beard, is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, and to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns began in 1993 with support from University of Maine Cooperative Extension. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine, and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be a benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Teach your children well, say the lyrics of Graham Nash. But the song really suggests that we have a lot to learn from our children. Let's take the topic of racism. What have young folks learned about racism from adults and from their own education and experience? What might they teach us? We're so happy to have um, students from the Mount Desert Island High School Civil Rights Team with us this morning to talk about combating racism in our schools and communities. And we'll get started in a, with some introductions in, in just a moment. But uh, we'll probably go for a half an hour or so and, and have a conversation with these folks. And then we'll put the, uh, um, the open the phone line so we can have questions from our audience as well. So let's get started um, by having students um, and, and listeners. This is the largest group of people I've ever had in the studio, um, and so I'm so excited. But let's start with some introductions. I'll ask each student to um, give their name, the town, um, the year they expect to graduate, maybe um, what, what motivated you to get involved um, as part of uh, the, the civil rights team. And, and we'll start with Finn Baker. Finn? Okay. Hi, so as Ron said, I am Finn Baker, and I am graduating in the year of 2022. I wanted to join the civil rights team because I felt like it would be great to be a part of something bigger than myself and just be able to help the help people um, and not just do something for myself. Mm, great. Bella? Hi, I'm Bella, and I'll be graduating this year in 2019. And I wanted to join the civil rights team because I just... Like, it gives you such a good sense of purpose, and you, like, when people, you want to help people, and you want to, um, I don't know, like, mm. it's like, you know, you just, yeah. So you wanted to get involved to, to yeah. help other people. Yeah. And you've got your name time upside down, so I can't <laughs> tell who you are. Claire. Let's hear from Claire. All right. Hi, I'm Claire. I'm a senior at Mount Desert Island High School, so I'll be graduating in the year of 2019. Um, the reason I joined Civil Rights Team was to not only spread awareness about this topic, but to help diminish it within our own community. Mm, thanks. Lily, why don't you use the mic right there? 
Hi, my name is Lily Turner. I'll be graduating this year, along with these two. Um, and I joined the Civil Rights Team because I just wanted to work to write something that I feel like has been wrong for so many years. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk a little bit about what you observe um, that is wrong in just a minute. Grace? Um, my name is Grace Munger, and I'm a freshman um, graduating in the year 2020. Too. <laughs> um, I wanted to join the civil rights team because I think it's really important that kids our age get our opinion out there mm. and we can have more like diversity in opinions. Mm, thanks. Lexi. I'm right Le there. Close to the mic. I'm Lexi and I'm graduating in 2022. I joined the civil rights team because I wanted to be part of a change and get to learn and listen to others. Mm. Want to switch over and then we have one more. Hi, I'm Faith. I'm graduating in 2022, and I joined Civil Rights Team to not only help others and educate them, but also just make a change in the world. Oh, that's great. Thanks. Sorry. Um, my name's Rohit Kumar, and I joined the Civil Rights Team because it's something that racism is something that I will face in the future and I wanted to be part of an organization that helps to stop it within our community. Mm, great, thanks. Let's see, Dawson. I'm Dawson Burnett. I'm from Somesville. I'm a senior and I wanted to join Civil Rights Team because I think solving these issues starts in the schools where people develop their sense of the world. Mm, great. Elliot. Hello, I'm Elliot Servitis. Um, I'm going to be in the graduating class of 2022. I'm a freshman. And uh, I joined the civil rights team because I really just want to educate others on the issues of racism, but also educate myself, too. Mm, that's where it starts, is educating ourselves. And um, we're so happy to have uh, Michelle Merica, who is the faculty advisor, um, a teacher at Mount Desert Island High School. Michelle, um, tell us a little bit about what the civil rights team is from mm -hmm. your perspective. Absolutely. Hi, I'm Michelle Merica. I am the uh, lucky teacher um, who gets to support these amazing students. Um, civil rights team really is an opportunity for students to come together and be very, um, I would say, solution-based and very immediate in our response to the things we see happening, not only in the world, but right here in our community. We are very grassroots. We're always reaching out, trying to make connections with people um, who live on the island and beyond. Mm. Yeah, we're very lucky to have a school that supports us Great. as well. So um, one of the questions I, I put out to uh, folks in advance was um, a definition of racism. Mm. How, Elliot, do you have some thoughts about what, what, how we define race, racism? Well, racism is, it is kind of the institutionalized or personal um, uh, segregation of, I guess. Um, so it's two parts. It's yes. institutional. What's that mean? It's where um, something is created off of um, what is, it is created by, um, like, Racism is kind of the ground roots of it, where mm. um, it's systematically um, against you if you are a person of color. Uh -huh. And about the personal side. Um, so if we have two kinds of racism, institutional that's kind of built into our system, and if we go back into the history of the United States, we've got a lot of things that are baked in. How about the personal thing? What, how does that kind of come out? Well, personal racism is really either the subconscious or conscious view where you are um, judging someone uh, solely or with several other factors 
uh, based off of their skin color. Mm. And you learned that. Right. I mean, somebody taught you how to how to be racist in that particular mm-hmm. case. It was I mean, you might have been part of a system that was racist, but you also learned some of these things. Mm-hmm. How about some of the rest of you? How, how have you kind of thought about racism? How has it showed up um, at MDI High School, for instance? Um, how do you see racism? Who would like to take that? Claire? Yeah. So I think one of perhaps the biggest form of racism I've witnessed in my community is disregarding the fact that it is prevalent. I think brushing it aside and kind of saying that we don't have it on our island is really arrogant. Mm. And I think that is the first problem that I would like to solve is bringing bringing awareness to the fact that even though we're small, we still have it. Mm-hmm. Yes, Bella. Um, I agree with you, Claire. Um, I also think one of the ways racism shows up on our island is that it's also unintentional. I feel like a lot of people might not realize they are being racist in some way. They mean well, but it doesn't always come across that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. How about some of the rest of you? Sarohi? Um, I agree with what Bella said. A large part of it is that MDI is a very white community, and uh, a lot of people like to think that because it's super white, they don't have the biases that everyone else does, In fact, when in fact just it's uh, more prevalent because there are more white people there's less of an opportunity to educate yourself about the rest of the world and how not white people are treated. Mm. What have you learned about the history of, of Mount Desert Island and, and how racism showed up early, early, early days? Any, any thoughts about um, our history of, of how we treat people whose skin color is different than ours? Yeah, go ahead. Dawson. Well, I guess it can go all the way back to when we first, when the Europeans first came here. And took the land from Native Americans who were living here. Sure, sure. And and that that population of Native Americans kind of coexisted um, in a in a kind of a um, subjective way um, for many years. Right. And then really got moved off of the island. There was a population of Native Americans who came and and um, they were part of the local economy, mm-hmm. but they don't exist in that in that form any longer. Right. So now we're primarily white here. Right. Right. How about the other ways in which racism shows up? Um, how do you see it? Are there instances at the high school that you've encountered? Sorohi? I've been lucky enough on this island to not have anyone say anything to me about my race, but I've definitely heard racial slurs being used against students of color, both to their faces and behind their backs. Mm. Uh, I'm pretty sure people have said things about me, but I not just things that I haven't heard. Right, right. And so... Um, when, What's what, what do you sense the um, the racial mix mix at MDI High School is? Does anybody have any figures of how many people of different races are? No figures. Not many. <laughs> Not many. <laughs> right. So Sarohi, um, t- tell us about your experience um, coming to um, Mount Desert Island and coming to the high school. Well, I used to live before I came to MDI. I used to live in Dallas, Texas, which was. It's a very uh, racially diverse place, but the school I went to wasn't. Mm. I was also the only Indian kid at that school. And it's not that different coming here, except that I'm older, and I can see more where people's racial biases come from. But I'm lucky enough to live in a small community where everyone knows each other, and the Indian community, especially in Bar Harbor, is very 
tightly woven. And when the kids who are younger come to the high school, I'll be lucky enough to have them and mm. be able to see them. Mm. And when you speak about India, you're talking about the, the nation of India, yes. not Native not Americans. Native Americans. <laughs> right, mm -hmm. sure. We've had this wonderful conversation, a wonderful but difficult conversation um, in, in Maine because of, of Skowhegan High School's kind yeah. of holding yeah. on to a tradition mm -hmm. that um, many people would consider very racist. Have you talked about that no notion of an, a mascot, Dawson? Yeah, actually, I saw that on Facebook today that they, they finally, finally decided to change it. Right. And I saw, you know, on Facebook the little angry faces when people react. <laughs> and I just kind of thought to myself, like, that is, of course, in itself a form of racism. Just the, the resistance to changing simple things like that that are unnecessary. And just I was confused why people were getting so riled up about that when it's it seemed like a no-brainer to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What if that situation had been part of your high school? Um, you were fortunate enough to, I guess, Trojans might feel like a mascot um, if we still had Trojans as, as part of the, of the history of the, of, the, of the world. But you didn't have to deal with that. But what, what would you imagine that be, being like um, at Skowhegan High School? How would your peers at Skowhegan be reacting and, and thinking about this? Any, any thoughts about, you know, any empathy for them as they dealt with this, this, this particular issue? Yes, go ahead, Bella. Um, I can definitely see how some people might not like it very much because in a way it's kind of like they're taking away a little bit of the identity of the high school. Mm -hmm. But on the other side... Um, it was. It's not very nice, mm. <laughs> yes. and so, like, they get the chance to make a new identity. Mm -hmm. Yes. Other thoughts about what that might have been like for a school to go through that, and certainly this was not only affecting um, the youth in that community, but the adults too. They were they were probably the the main proponents. Many of them perhaps had graduated from that school with that tradition. Any thoughts, Dawson? Um, yeah, I imagine there was probably a lot of division in the school about it. Like, I'm guessing Skowhegan probably has a group like ours, and that that group was mm. probably on the side of getting rid of the mascot. So I think within the student body itself, there was probably some tension. Mm. Mm. So you mentioned that sometimes you see or hear um, racist comments um, among your peers. Um, the notion of being an ally, tell me about what, what an ally is and what an ally might do in that kind of situation. Who'd like to jump in on that? Yeah, Sarohi. Well, whenever I've heard something like that said, I used to be very nervous about speaking up when it comes to issues like this because I was always afraid, what are they going to think about me? What are they going to say about me behind my back? But mm -hmm. I realize that if you're someone who's using those kinds of words, your opinion really isn't the best one to judge yourself on. So I always speak up. I always say something. Uh -huh. I try to. So what, what might you say? If I had just made a racist remark, what might you say to me to kind of confront and challenge me? I would say, Ron, that's hate speech. <laughs> you can't say stuff like that, not in the school, not anywhere else. It's rude and it's degrading. And then if you had apologized or said something that indicated that you were sorry, I, I wouldn't have pushed you on it, but I would have gone to a teacher afterwards and said something. So if, if I hadn't said something 
that indicated I was aware of what you were telling me, then you might go, go to a teacher and get some support. Mm -hmm. And uh -huh. I, even if you had indicated that you were sorry, I would have gone to a teacher anyways and just notified them of the incident. So tell us a little bit about, tell listeners about the kind of code of contact, con conduct at MDI High School that would say, oh, that's, uh, that's wrong, and therefore it's, it's um, wrong to be um, using hate speech. Is that part of the code of conduct at, at MDI High School? Anybody? Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about school policy, but I know there is policy against discrimination and mm -hmm. hate speech. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it it will it gets dealt with if it's brought to the administration. Yes. Anything else about what you might do as an ally if you see um, hate speech or um, discriminatory behavior, Grace? Um, I think just noticing that it happens and not just brushing it off as something that you can just ignore is a step like speaking back to the person and making them aware of what they've said and just explaining that it's mean and degrading and um, then telling a teacher or somebody higher up that it's happened so that they can kind of take it to a different level to explain to the person that it's not okay and it's not right. Mm. So there seems like, um, and, and, and uh, maybe Michelle, you want to jump in sure. a little bit. There's a, there's a, um, connection between what the school wants to do and the work of the civil rights team yes. to kind of uh, teach and kind of enforce good policies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say at the root of our civil rights team is education, and it starts with ourselves. We cannot identify racism in our community unless we identify it within ourselves mm -hmm. and the stories that we've almost um, convinced ourselves of. It is a long process and it's, you know, it's dirty work. Um, and so I think just being open-hearted, um, open to dialogue and open to discuss the experiences of um, racism and other marginalization um, at our school is the first step. And I think we have a um, very um, prompt administration. Mm. Uh, I think we're very, very fortunate for that because I know that there are other civil rights teams in this state who are not as fortunate as us. And I can absolutely say I feel like MDI High School um, commits itself to being anti-racist. Mm. Yeah. So where do we get our messages about race? Where, 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 where did you learn about race? I mean, your families and your situations, because um, that's part of that learning process. Right. Some of you got answers to that? Yeah. Finn. So in second grade, um, I was able to go to South Africa. And this was, um, a few, um, I think, maybe about a decade after apartheid ended. But it was still pretty clear to see how um, much more wealthy white people were able to live in these houses but then there were um, the, I think, native um, South Africans that were just kind of on the streets and not able to have as much as their white counterparts. And that just really made it clear that there wasn't, even though apartheid had ended and there was this, um, like, the kind of name of the separation had ended, there was mm, still sure. a significant, um, like, barrier in society. Right. Mm. Who else wants to talk about where they kind of learned about race? Yeah, yeah Dawson first, and then Michelle can jump um, in. Well, my family has always uh, kind of helped me, like, 
we've always encouraged the belief that discrimination is wrong. I okay. guess. So I've had I've been lucky to have a family that's progressive enough where I haven't had to fight them about that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've been fortunate enough to travel like Finn and just see places where the issue's more in your face. You right. know? Black but, and white, as we say. Right, right. <laughs> I've been able to see, go to cities and see what the social structure looks like, who lives where, who's begging, who is that sort of thing, you know? And that has kind of helped cement my beliefs on it. So um, travel experiences and parents, where else did you learn about race? Lexi, do you want to jump right in? I was able to learn more about race by being able to listen to other people and their stories that they've been able to share with me. And I found that very important in learning what I know today. I still am doing that. Do do you remember a particular story from a particular person that that, um, influenced you? Um, how did, how did they talk about it so that you understood um, that um, race race was a part of of their their identity? They were able to share with me what they were feeling and how they thought they could make a change, and I was able to stand by them and mm. help them with mm. that and listen to them. Mm. Michelle, you had a yeah. comment about that notion of of where we learn about yeah. race. I I feel like um, this was definitely my experience growing up, and I'm not originally from Maine, but I think this is a universal experience that we face in which I learned about race because of the uh, absence of it in the curriculum that I had growing up as a young person, Um, and that is to say that um, it was never discussed. It was never at the center of, I think, an English classroom. And I think it's important to remember that voices are not marginalized, but they are silenced. Um, And so as an English teacher, my main, one of my main focuses is just lifting the stories of people, not trying to create this like universal experience of race in the United States, but it is to show a tapestry of experiences and elevate the voices that have been silenced for way too long. So um, introducing people to literature. A hundred percent. And getting the voices of of Native Americans, Mm -hmm. um, um, whatever the the culture is, getting those stories out Mm -hmm. and a part of the discussion. Mm -hmm. I think that's when when people can connect on uh, the human experience, Mm -hmm. when we can humanize the stories of our history. I think that's where the real meaty discussions of race take place. How about some of the rest of you? Did you do you remember reading some some stories or some books that helped you understand what it was like to live um, in another another culture? What, who'd like to jump in, Finn? Yeah. Finn and Bella. So, so the book that I read um, that really um, like kind of left a mark on me. It wasn't a it wasn't um, a true story that happened, but it's called um, Crosses and Knots. I can't remember the author's name. But it was, it's basically um, if um, the blacks and whites in society were, were switched, and it was that um, whites were like the lower, like one of the lowest classes. And it was, it was a really interesting book to read just to see like, oh, this is like really what um, people of color experience in society, even if it wasn't, uh, even if it wasn't a true story, it was still... It really seemed to speak to so, the experience. So the author, in a, in a work of fiction, was causing you as the reader to really experience what it w- would be like mm-hmm. if um, there was a different culture where blacks were on top and whites were on the bottom. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Bella, what would you add? Um, 
yeah when i was young i read this book i can't remember what it was called but it was like it was a memoir of a person who was mixed race and like not necessarily a slave but not necessarily um as high up as the white people mm. and it really i just remember reading it and like crying because it's like you can really empathize, empathize with the people and just think what if this was happening to me like how would i feel if mm. this was happening to me i don't want to make anyone else feel like that you know mm. so so that building of empathy mm-hmm. is part of what your work is as a civil rights team but you get some of that by the stories we read, um, perhaps the movies we watch, um, perhaps the music we listen to, um, other ways in which kind of racism gets, or, or the the opposite of racism, uh, just society. How do we learn about just society? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Claire. Um, so for me, a few of my educators throughout um, my education mm-hmm. have kind of like preached when they were introducing new literature or new um, works of history that weren't produced by a white male. And that that kind of like brought to my attention like how we view history and the fact that, I mean, yeah, it was it was good that they were taking pride in introducing these, but it was kind of in a, in like an arrogant way. And so a few of the Um, books I read were like The House on Mango Street and The Bluest Eye. Mm -hmm. And they were stories about growing up in these neighborhoods that were um, inhabited by like Hispanic people or black people and like the difference and the yearning to want to be white so they could fit in. And my teachers kind of brushed over that, which was interesting, but that was one of the first, not one of the first, but some of the most prevalent ways in which I realized that racism is a part of our society more than just in my community and in these works of literature and in these works of history that we are learning from. Mm. We're only getting one side. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. thought that was mm. interesting. How about some of the rest of you? How, do, how have you kind of learned about race? Well, like, um, one of my biggest realizations came a lot later in my education than I would have thought it did would (laughs) and that was learning about Malcolm X Uh, we did a project in Miss America's class actually (laughs) uh, where we we looked at different civil rights leaders I think it's primarily Medgar Evers MLK and Malcolm X Mm. and my first impression of Malcolm X I was like oh yeah he was the violent one right (laughs) and after looking into it more, I started learning about how the government at the time very effectively portrayed him as as a terrorist and how even 45 years later, me in middle school, even hearing his name, it still worked on me and it still, it still told me that he was the, the radical dangerous one. Mm. And so reading about him and learning that that's not how he was, he was just... He was different than the other ones. And this learning that it opened my eyes to how much influence the government had over a long period of time. Right. And to be able to read um, his words rather than what somebody said he said, Mm -hmm. really important. Yeah. Really important. Yeah. Yeah. And that was just through – that wasn't a specific book or anything. It was just even just simple research, even just reading through a Wikipedia page. Sure. And it started to just hit me that there was something that had been 
put in place that wasn't true. So that's a, an example of both um, um, personal racism, but also this institutional racism right. that, um, that our country really was founded on, if we look at the history. Right. And, and <laughs> people who are in power want to stay in power. And if you're a white person in power, you want to hold on to that, mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the nation, uh, yeah. the, the, the notion of it. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was just shocking to me how, how long after his death that that still was, that that idea of him being a radical terrorist was still ingrained in culture. Right, right. Well, I'm going to um, break our conversation for um, just a minute, and and we'll go to the phones. And Jackie Davidson is with us. She's the executive director of the YWCA of Mount Desert Island. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Jackie. Well, thank you, Ron. It's good to be here. And you've probably been listening to these wonderful students. They are wonderful. You're right. So, Jackie, tell us a little bit about um, the mission of the YWCA and how it relates to uh, this morning's topic, which is combating racism in our schools and our communities. Okay. Um, Eliminating racism is the first line of our mission statement. Um, The national YWCA and, of course, ours as an association. Um, We, of course, also empower women. But the emphasis has always been to address racism. That's always been the most important thing. Uh, Here, in this neck of the woods, that's always been a hard sell. Mm. But now, we've been jolted into awareness that there is a need for all of us to know what racism really means, what part white privilege contributes to that overall problem, and what can we do about it as concerned citizens. Um, About a little more than a year ago, a group of us who were concerned got together to kind of share our stories and see what we might be able to do to at least raise awareness. And so we formed a group we call the MDI Racial Equity Working Group. Um, That group is made up of two local UCC pastors, two staff members from the YWCA, a professor at College of the Atlantic, representative from individual MDI, and um, a member of the Chamber of Commerce here in Bar Harbor, staff member from the local library, and several other members of the community. It, it's, it's, it's been a really good opportunity to share stories of what has been going on and where there might be some difficulties we can address. Um, we've had a few events. We began a winter speaker series in January. Uh, which continues now. It's the fourth Wednesday of March and April, held at the Jessup Library. Um, We've had a couple of really excellent speakers and hope to continue that. We've also offered one workshop from the REI Institute, the Racial Equity Institute in Lewiston, a two-day opportunity to learn history of racism and how pervasive it has been for as long as we've been a country. Um, We hope to, we have scheduled another one of those workshops in May and we'll get the publicity out very soon and hope to uh, sponsor additional workshops that will take us deeper into racism and hopefully answer the question, what can we do about it? 
Mm. Uh, recently, one of the, your speakers was Todd Little Siebold. Uh, He's a faculty member at College of the Atlantic. He spoke um, at the Jessup Library as part of your series. Uh, what do you remember learning from Todd's talk about um, how racism shows up um, in Hancock County, for instance? Well, mostly what I remember about his talk is when he started, he said, you know, how he felt here in Maine, you know, we all pointed our little fingers at people who lived in the southern part of the country right. and said, oh, well, you know, they're all racist down there. And then Todd pointed his fingers at us and said, but <laughs> <laughs> there is a history of racism that exists, you know, even right here. Mm. So um, I can't remember anything specific. I just remember that. Right. And he was pointing out that both in terms of, of uh, our treatment as white colonial, um, white settlers, I guess, um, uh, tr treatment of Native Americans, and then later um, the KKK uh, being very virulent um, in Hancock County, um, actually a, a talk um, at the Congregational Church there in Bar Harbor. Uh, it's kind of a sponsored talk, um, and and so that that history we don't know. We don't we don't teach it necessarily, so we don't know. And so it's probably pretty easy to point to the southern part of the United States, or as Todd points out, the most um, racially segregated city. I think he said in the United States is Boston, so that isn't very far south. Um, and but those racist policies um, kind of kind of continue, and we need to learn about them. So I agree, and I also um, want to compliment you on your fine memory. <laughs> <laughs> I was taking notes. <laughs> well, Jackie, thanks. Um, what what else would you like um, uh, anybody listening to our show to know about um, your work uh, through the? Um, YWCA of, of Mount Desert Island? Well, we the thing we are most proud of is that um, for the last two years, we have held um, on Martin Luther King Day a march around Bar Harbor in the, you know, it's in January. So it's very cold, usually. And I have been stunned to think that two or 250 people participate in that. Mm. Um, we also have begun to have uh, young girls coming the night before to have a sleepover and learn a lot more about racism. And they make banners for the march. And it's um, heartening to see the concern that people have. Great. Jackie, thanks so much. Um, again, um, people can learn more about, um, you have a website, I know, and uh, you're celebrating International Women's Day today. So We uh, are. <laughs> congratulations. You hear noise in the background. It's about 15 volunteers who are putting roses in their car to deliver all over, well, actually all over the island and Trenton. Great. Well, good luck with that project and, and, and continued success with um, your work around racism. That's Jackie Davidson, the executive director of the YWC of, of Mount Desert Island. Um, you're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about combating racism in our schools and our communities. And I'm so glad to have students from the Mount Desert Island School Civil Rights Team with us. Um, uh, I think I've gone through the, the list um, and as they introduce themselves, so we're glad to have them with us to talk about racism. So as we th think about that, you've, you've um, looked at your own experience. You've done some history. Um, you know a little bit about being allies in the community. 
what, what's the next step? How do you take this, this um, notion um, that Jackie was talking about of, of spreading this work out into the community? Um, Lily, you s- it sounded like you participated in at least one of the marches, maybe? Yes. T- tell us a little bit about that. That's kind of taking it out into the community. Yeah, we've done, We I think one thing that we really try to focus on in the Civil Rights team is just educating people. Because I think, like Sirohi was saying, there's a lot of racial slurs and such used at the high school. And I think some of that, not all of it, just comes from a lack of understanding what those things actually mean to other people. And um, recently when we had the blogger who writes A Black Girl in Maine, she came to the high school. And that was when I first actually got fully educated on racism. Like I always had an idea, I learned about it, I talked to my dad about it. But when she talked about it, she talked about the subconscious side of racism where you don't even realize that you're doing what you're doing or saying what you're saying. And when they were having that conversation on stage and we had a second to break off into groups and talk about it, I was like opened my eyes to so many things. And that's when I realized that all of us have some work to do. And I think another thing that she talked about was just having those really difficult conversations, I think is really a big next step just for everyone to like sit down with people of any color and talk about race. And it's gonna be awkward and weird, she said, but you just have to get through it. And when you do, you'll come out the other side being a more educated person and you'll just feel so much better about it. But it's not gonna take one, it's gonna take many. And I think that's something that everyone has to put a lot of work into doing. It's definitely not easy, but if everyone participates in that and gets themselves educated more and more every day, then I think we're going to end up in a really good place in the mm. future. So so I can imagine you, or any of you, um, saying to your friends or perhaps um, people um, that your adults bring to dinner or something like that, tell me about race. <laughs> uh, what would those conversations be like if you asked, asked people, tell me about y- your experience of race? Any thoughts about what would that look like or feel like? I think, though this may be something people don't want to hear, I think a lot of it will be immediate defensiveness. It's like, because a lot of the people my parents work with are white, um, it'd be, well, uh, I uh, treat people equally regardless of race, because you feel weird. Someone's like, some brown person is like, so what do you think about race? <laughs> I don't see color. I don't see color, yeah. But I think what needs to happen is people need to understand that it's not an accusation. It's a simple deep wanting to understand what you think Mm. and it's not like oh i need to know what you think so i can immediately stop talking to you or i can try to change the way you think it's i want to understand how you think so i can broaden my own views of the world so that again that comes from a place of empathy rather than of of accusation of of, i want to understand you i want to understand your experience so that helps me but maybe the conversation will help us all yeah yeah michelle Um, I have to put on my very proud teacher hat right here um, and say what's so amazing um, what these young people do is they also prepare themselves. They don't pat themselves on the back for being the good white people (laughs) Um, like (laughs) um, where they they do not congratulate themselves for going to a march. They don't feel good about themselves because they have like the peace bumper sticker. I think a lot of the work that they commit themselves to on their own is how can I prepare myself when I make a mistake, which is inevitable. 
um, and that their reaction is what's powerful. Um, and that's the next step that I see a lot of these young people doing is not making it, um, not centering their whiteness when they get called out, but rather using it as a learning moment. And I think they just do a fantastic job with that. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's open up our phone lines and see who's out there listening um, to Talk of the Towns this morning. Uh, give us a call at one 626 9378 that's one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight for our conversation about combating racism in our schools and our communities. What's your experience? Um, what would you um, want others to know about in your community? Uh, so give us a call one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. So as we wait for um, uh, phone calls, and we may not get any, that's 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 fine. Um, if you were um, uh, telling adults about our radio show today. Um, what would you want them to take away from our radio show, um, from your work as, as uh, students part of the civil rights team? What would you, yeah, Sirohi? If you have kids, um, it doesn't matter how old they are, they could be fully grown adults or middle schoolers, you should have, take the time to sit down for like an hour and just ask them about, even if they're white or if they're brown or if they're some other color, mm. ask them about what you, what they think they're what their uh, perspective of race is and what their opinion of race is because you could learn some very interesting things about how your kids think and you could open their eyes or your eyes mm. but don't be afraid to have the hard conversations okay so have the have the conversation what else would you like adults to take away Elliot um well a good thing to do is to kind of check yourself like <laughs> <laughs> it seems a little harsh at first but um just Kind of in your daily life, just uh, really think about what you're doing and make sure to really just um, uh, just check yourself for any bias, like, and then try to combat that. That's really all I have to say. So it sounds like you're saying be self-aware. Certainly. Great, great. We have a, do have a phone call from Gerald from Mount Desert Island. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. When you talk about race. How many races are we talking about? <laughs> That's a really deep question. I mean, the scientists would tell, tell us that there is no race. Is that right? That's one of the answers that would be <laughs> acceptable, yeah. Right, but in terms of our, our cultural um, use of race, um, I don't have an answer for that. Um, we can probably, you know, um, use our fingers and our toes. and, and three. three, Michelle says. And what would those races be if you, if you were to use them? Get right there on the microphone. Well, I personally... Um, I think I would say that there are much more than three, okay. but I've definitely gotten into some pretty serious heated debates <laughs> uh, with loved ones about necessarily how many races there are. Um, but I, someone could probably check me on this, but I do believe it is, is three. Um, but I don't know the scientific. Uh, so how would, you, how would you characterize those races, the three that you're thinking about? Um, like where they come from? No, but so if there are three races, what are they? Name them. I think them, it's uh, Negroid, Mongoloid, and Caucasian, I believe, is. or So historically, historically that's. Historically, that's, that's, yes. That's how yes, we But things. I would, I, I'm sure people disagree, but I would look at it more expansive. Gerald, what's your experience if you're well, still there? Well, they're both good answers, but uh, the zero one is makes me always think that whether you are a creationist, you believe that man was created in the Garden of Eden and spread from there, uh -huh. or you're a Darwinian and you believe that uh, man 
might have been created in the uh, Fertile Crescent of Africa and spread from there through evolution. Uh, the point being that we are really all from the same place. Uh -huh. And when people talk about diversity, they often say, we're bring, let's bring together the races in one place again. <laughs> and I always think that really diversity was the spreading of human beings that evolved into different races, whether it's three or even five. You know, we hear red, yellow, white, black, and I forget the other Something one in between, right. Yeah, you, get, you get these different theories on how sure. many races there are. Sure. It really doesn't matter because I think we all did come from the same place. Right. So uh, right. I just wanted to bring that up. Great. Thanks so much for your call. We have another call. Um, let's go ahead with that comment or question. Go ahead with your comment or question. No? We have David from Belfast. Go ahead. Okay. okay. Hi. Yeah, Thank this you. Is David in Belfast. Uh, I was um, taken in the beginning of the conversation by the um, comment about uh, Malcolm X and mm. how he generated so much um, fear amongst people. And uh, thinking about that Malcolm X is uh, a black Muslim. Uh, and uh, this, this, this create, you know, the, we were, we were people frightened of it. I'm yes. using, I've used that word fear twice. Yeah. And, uh, and, and again, we have a present situation where there are two Muslim representatives in, in Congress who, and one of them is a Somali, as far as I, as I know, and she's also a, a black, black Muslim. So, you know, uh, I just uh, want to hear comments about this. Um, you know, th we're fighting racism, and, and we're really um, fighting uh, when we get think of a group of people and this fear reaction kicks in. Uh, so that's, that's my comment, and uh, I'd love to hear some responses to it. Great, Thank you. Great. So this notion that um, we fear many things, um, we might fear someone because of their, their skin color, but we also might fear them because they have a different religion than we do, mm -hmm. and we don't know about that religion, so our first response is to fear it. What do you remember about um, Malcolm X's um, kind of Muslim beliefs and what he talked about? Well, I think it's a great example of institutional racism. And um, like when you're born, you're not afraid of anyone for any reason, you mm -hmm. know. So mm -hmm. it's all what you're taught. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't he wasn't any more dangerous than the government at the time, who were doing horrible things to black people for speaking out their beliefs. So. I think, yeah, I think it's just a great example of how it's what you're taught. Mm -hmm. It's what you're taught to be afraid of. Right, mm -hmm. right. And so when we're afraid of something, um, what's our natural reaction <clears throat> is to put up kind of a, a wall around ourselves right. to keep something else out. Mm -hmm. And so how do, how do we help break down those? What, what, what would be the conversation that you might have about um, um, a black Muslim, for instance, that would might break down the barrier that we might put up well, it might be difficult to do here, but maybe find someone who's Muslim or find someone who's black. And, and, and if you're friends with them, try not to be very rude about it and ask, like, oh, can I ask you about your religion? Sure. But find a time and ask them. Be like, ask, say, tell them you're very curious and you just want to know. Like, tell me about your religion. Yeah. 
yeah. about your beliefs, not in an aggressive or a contrary way, but just I want to know about them. So that curiosity, mm -hmm. um, that's the antidote to fear. Yeah. It's say, I'm curious about what you believe, and um, where, where did that religion come from, yes. and, and how is it related to the other two major religions? And mm -hmm. we find, again, in the caller said, we all came from the same place, mm -hmm. and then there were divisions that happened. But um, those basic three, the basic three religions that we, we experience, those came from the same, same place in, in history and, and, and time. So uh, how do we deal with that? Any, any other responses to the caller who's, who's really asking about um, how we treat otherness? Yeah, go ahead. Well, you can, uh, I think, observing the events that have been used to perpetuate the fear about the other, um, is a good thing to do because people say they're afraid of Muslims because Muslims are terrorists and sometimes terrorists are Muslims but sometimes terrorists are also white Americans so I think if you can acknowledge the fact that skin color and religion doesn't determine if you're a good or bad person or whether or not you're gonna kill a bunch of people mm. that's that's important so that's the notion of prejudice prejudging mm -hmm. um, what someone is going to do based on their skin color. Right. Um, we, we have had many examples of where that prejudice gets us into trouble because we make false assumptions. Mm -hmm. Right. We have another call. I'll just remind listeners to give us a call at one 625 as we talk about combating racism in our schools and communities. We have David from Brooklyn. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Thanks, guys. This is a really good show. It's a, it's a really hard topic of course and uh, congratulations for even you know beginning to try to deal with it uh, my my own uh, take on it since I'm calling uh, is uh, to wonder what it might feel like uh, to be one of the other other group who uh, had just been reported to the principal for uh, hate speech mm -hmm. and uh, how you see I think that it's easy to, to find other groups very other which we can try to relate to uh, and, and understand it with curiosity but it's much harder to find people who are in our community who ride on the bus with us, uh, who are, I, it comes sort of, sometimes I think it comes to a class thing, it comes to a, uh, a thing of, uh, of uh, uh, I hesitate to say, intelligence. Uh, how is it in me that I am being a racist? You know, I know I'm not going to go out and, you know, like throw bombs at a black guy, you know being white but how is it that that when i was in high school and went around with a with a with a a, a little instant camera photographing uh pictures of people through the glass clear glass doors of their classroom who had bad posture and then putting up those posture pictures in the hallway for everybody to see as examples of bad posture how was i in that act being a racist mm -hmm. Or not racism, but but certainly um, challenging. Not a racism. No, right. it's it's like yeah, it's it's it, how am I holding myself as different or superior or or 
more knowledgeable than another. Great. You know, more and more in life, I learned that it, it, it's only a matter of trying to find where the other's knowledge area lies, rather than trying to bring the other into my area of superior knowledge of one sort or another. Great. Uh, you know. Thanks so much for your call and that provocative question. one 625 9378 to get into our, our conversation. How do we think about those who, who might have um, um, made a, a hateful comment? How do we, wh- where's our compassion for them? I think that's really what, what the caller is asking about. How do we find compassion for people who um, do things that don't really feel good to us? Well, I heard a radio story that sort of approached this question. Uh, There's this Muslim guy who owned a store, and this white guy comes in with a gun and robs his store, and he says, because he's Muslim, because the owner of the store is Muslim, he's going to rob his store. And he ends up shooting the Muslim guy in the chest. And he doesn't die, but he goes in the hospital. And then, like, some number of years later, he finds out that the white guy's been sentenced to death. He's going to face the death penalty. Uh, in jail and he goes to visit the guy who shot him and almost killed him in his own store because he was Muslim and he says I forgive you and the man the white guy says that I've educated myself and I feel this is the worst thing that I think I've ever done and I feel I feel like uh, I feel bad and I I would give anything to take it back Mm. and the Muslim guy forgives him before he's killed. And I thought when I first heard the story, I was like, I would, I don't know how he found it within himself. You know, he told you that because you are something other, I'm going to, I'm going to kill you. And I thought that it was incredible that someone could find it within themselves to forgive someone like that. And I think that I've thought about it a lot. I think that the, what you need to do is understand if you're trying to forgive someone, you need to make sure that that person is worthy of your forgiveness see if they've learned that what they've done or what they've said or what they think is not okay. So if they think that you're a bad person because of your skin color, try to be sure that they've learned that that's not true. Mm. You need mm. to you need to just make sure that that person is worthy of your forgiveness and then you can find it within yourself to forgive them. Mm. And it seems like there's an element of separating um, the personhood from the acts. Yes. Um, that um, if we are all persons... Um, there's some basic humanity about us, and if we forget that, then we're <laughs> we're guilty of the thing that we're 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 trying mm-hmm. to correct. Um, yes. But we we abhor the act, and we and we point that out, and we ask them um, if um, they would consider the effect of that act on other people. Mm-hmm. And by that, we're kind of confronting in a in a hopefully a constructive way, uh, confronting someone about their behavior, not about them as a person. And that's really a powerful thing, and I think you know we all need to to learn that. But it sounds like you are getting some of that um, in your in your discussions and your learnings. Um, what else would you want adults who are listening to the show to take away from our conversation? Uh, think about that, and I'll list the phone numbers one more time: one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Here on Talk of the Towns, as we talk about combating racism in our schools and communities, with the Mount Desert Island High School Civil Rights Team. Responses to that question, um, what, what, what would you want adults to take away from our conversation? Grace? Um, I guess I'd want adults to take away that it's important to have conversations with your kids about um, sometimes uncomfortable topics, and it's important to educate um, 
your children or even the people around you how to have conversations like that and how to notice things that are going around uh, around you and um, how to confront them in a constructive way. Mm. So you want them, the adults listening, to practice what you try to practice. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Other responses to that question of what you would like others to take away? Michelle? Um, I would just speak on um, to parents and say that, of course, teaching your children um, equality and kindness is important, but also at the center of that um, education needs to be explicitly anti-racist work. Um, that just saying you need to treat everyone with kindness or um, don't judge people based off of the color of their skin. Of course, that's the first step, but we must teach kids um, to be anti-racist, to um, lift others up, even if they do not look like you, to be able to um, pick up other causes that do not directly affect you, and to see um, us as a, uh, yeah, like a, a community, um, that we stand together. And I think that um, kids have, have the answers to mm-hmm. those, to those mm-hmm. questions. Mm-hmm. So lightning round, you know what the lightning round is? Everybody gets to say something? Yeah. So um, let's um, get, be prepared to move, move around so everybody gets the microphone. What, what's what's uh, your hope for the future? What, what, are you, what, are you, what energizes you? What's your hope? Um, you want um, Elliot and then Finn? And go ahead. Elliot, what's your hope? Well, my hope is that eventually we can all come to a point where we can all peacefully coexist without any need for racial bias in the world. We're going to have to wrap it up pretty quick, so (laughs) move us around. Thanks, Elliot. Quickly, Finn? Yep, so just agreeing with Elliot, just like a world that is able, where people can um, coexist peacefully without these, um, without divides that can cause harm in society. Bella, really quickly? That we can empathize with each other no matter what. Claire? I think just living peacefully and living beyond the standards that we have been recently. Lily? Uh, that people of all ages, there's always an opportunity to stand up for what you believe in. Great. Grace? Um, that we can have hard conversations that may push emotions that we're not used to experiencing. Sarohi? That we can acknowledge racial biases within ourselves. Great. Lexi? To have conversations without the fear. Mm. Faith? That we continue to understand even as things improve. Great. Uh, That we can realize that we are all humans. Great. Wonderful. Thanks so much for this conversation. We've come to the end of the hour. Be sure to join us from 10 to 11 on the second Friday morning of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of this program and all of our programs can be found at the archive section of the WERU website. If you've got comments or suggestions for topics, please email us at news at weru.org. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balmain House Highland Music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio, the students from the Mount Desert Island Regional High School Civil Rights Team, and their advisor, Michelle Merica. Uh, thanks to our underwriters. Uh, thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the League of Women Voters of Maine, serving the people of Maine, making democracy work.